Jean-Francois Gravelet, better known as Blondine, was a famous tightrope walker and acrobat. He's perhaps best known for his many crossings of the tightrope, 1,100 feet in length, suspended 160 feet above Niagara Falls in the USA. His act would be watched by large crowds and begin with a relatively simple crossing using a balancing pole. Then he would throw away the pole and amaze the onlookers. On one occasion, he crossed the tightrope on stilts. On another occasion, blindfolded. Another time, he stopped halfway to cook and eat an omelette. In 1860, a royal party from England came to watch Blondin perform. After his normal spectacular crossings, he then wheeled a wheelbarrow from one side to the other as the crowd cheered. Next, he put a sack of potatoes into the wheelbarrow and wheeled that across. The crowd cheered louder. Then he approached the royal party and asked the Duke of Newcastle, Do you believe that I could take a man across the tightrope in this wheelbarrow? Yes, I do, said the Duke. Ah, hop in, replied Blondin. The crowd fell silent. But the Duke of Newcastle would not accept Blondin's challenge. Is there anyone else here who believes I could do it? asked Blondin. No one was willing to volunteer. Eventually, an old woman stepped out of the crowd and climbed into the wheelbarrow. Blondin wheeled her all the way across and all the way back. The old woman was Blondin's mother, the only person willing to put her life in his hands. Peace be upon you. So I thought that clip was going to be applicable for uh, today's uh, topic. And what I wanted to talk about is the difference between saying you believe in something and when you truly believe in something. And it sounds subtle, but I thought this uh, example depicted that perfectly. Here's a bunch of people. This is based on a true story who watch Blodine walk across the uh, tightrope uh, on top of uh, Niagara Falls. And he has a reputation for doing this. And they've seen this numerous times where he's walking across and doing these kind of amazing acts on it. And when the crowd was asked, you know, how many people think that Blodine could do this with a man inside the wheelbarrow, they all unanimously agreed. But when they were put to the test and requested, okay, who's willing to get inside that wheelbarrow, you saw that none of them, with the exception of his mom, was willing to get inside. And this is the difference between saying you believe in something and truly believing something with your heart. When you say you believe something, it's just mere lip service. When your actions correspond with that belief, that's when you know you really believe in something. There was a recent poll, uh, actually it was in 2016, but uh, a Gallup poll in the US, and they asked how many people believe in God. And 89% of people said, yes, we believe in God. But what does that mean? Is that just mere lip service? Because if you believe in God, then you must believe in God's qualities, that he's most gracious, most merciful, uh, most kind, that he's your creator, that everything he's doing is in his control. And if you truly believe that, then your actions should correspond with it. And I wanted to emphasize on this and look deeply into this topic, that if you truly believe that God is doing everything, how would your actions correspond with that belief? And um, to look at what does that mean that God is doing everything, uh, one of the uh, the famous verses is chapter 10, verse 61, where it reads, you do not get into any situation, nor do you recite any Quran, nor do you do anything without us being witnesses thereof as you do it. Not even an atom's weight is out of your Lord's control, be it in the heavens or earth, nor is there anything smaller than an atom 
or larger that is not recorded in a profound record. So this is pretty awesome that God is saying there is nothing outside of God's control. And if we truly believe this, and if we truly took just this verse to heart, how would our actions correspond with that belief? And you have to ask, would you ever have any fear if you knew that God is doing everything? Would there ever be a moment in our life where we would have any fear? Would there ever be a moment in our life where we would worry and be concerned about something? Because we know that the the creator of the universe has controlled every single scenario and has our best intent in mind. Uh, would we ever get angry? Would we ever get frustrated? Would we ever get impatient if we truly believe that God is doing absolutely everything? And a perfect example of uh, taking this to heart and the difference between someone who truly believes in this, believes in God, uh, not just his mere existence, but his qualities, his attributes, uh, can be seen in uh, chapter 33, verse uh, 9 through 20, where we read the people who use just mere lip service, how they respond, and how the true believers respond. So the verses read, O you who believe, remember God's blessings upon you. When soldiers attacked you, we sent upon them violent and invisible soldiers, God is seer of everything you do. When they came from above you and from beneath you, your eyes were terrified. Your hearts ran out of patience, and you harbored unbefitting thoughts about God. That is when the believers were truly tested. They were severely shaken up. The hypocrites and those with doubts in their hearts said, What God and his messenger promised us was no more than an illusion. A group of them said, O people of Yathrib, you cannot attain victory. Go back. Others made up excuses to the prophet. Our homes are vulnerable when they were not vulnerable. They just wanted to flee. Had the enemy invaded and asked them to join, they would have joined the enemy without hesitation. They had pledged to God in the past that they would not run or, uh, run, and turn around and flee. Making a pledge with God involves a great responsibility. Say, if you flee, you can never flee from death or from being killed. No matter what happens, you only live a short while longer. Who would protect you from God if he willed any adversity or willed any blessing for you? They can never find beside God any other Lord and Master. God is fully aware of the hinderers among you. And those who say to their comrades, Let us all stay behind. Rarely do they mobilize for defense. Also, they are too stingy when dealing with you. If anything threatens a community, you see their eyes rolling with fear, as if death had already come to them. Once the crisis is over, they whip you with sharp tongues. They are too stingy with their wealth. These are not believers, and consequently, God has nullified their works. This is easy for God to do. They thought that the parties might come back. In that case, they would wish that they were lost in the desert, asking about your news from afar. Had the parties attacked you while they were with you, they would rarely support you. So this is what the people who just give lip service, that they believe that, yeah, God is running everything, that God is in control, that... um uh, they have the uh, the upper hand just by, you know, believing in God and being on God's side. But you see that their actions do not correspond with this belief. They were making every excuse to basically abandon having to fight, having to be there, having to be uh, potentially attacked. And um, they were saying that their homes were vulnerable, that if the enemy asked them to join, they would have. And this shows that they didn't have real belief, uh, that they were looking for every excuse to kind of uh, uh, get out of the situation. And this is the difference between someone who truly believes in something versus someone who's giving it lip service. So let's look at how the believers, the true believers, respond to the situation, starting from 33, 21 through 22. It says, The messenger of God has set up a good example for those among you who seek God in the last day and constantly think about God. 
When the true believers saw the parties ready to attack, they said, This is what God and His Messenger have promised us, and God and His Messenger are truthful. This dangerous situation only strengthened their faith and augmented their submission. So at a time of stress, at a time of battle, the weak, not even weak believers, but the, uh, the, the hypocrites, the ones who just claimed that they believed but didn't really believe, you saw them make every excuses. But the real believers, it says this dangerous situation only strengthened their faith and augmented their submission. So being in a situation like that reconfirmed for them that God's promise is true. Uh, they didn't turn back on God's promise or, you know, uh, uh, reject what they pledged to uphold. And you see that if you truly believe in God, you would have no fear. You would never be in a situation where you're, 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 uh, fearful in the sense of like perpetual scared is different. You know, someone can pop up from behind a, uh, a door and scare you. But fear is something that's, it's chronic. It's something that it allows you to lose sleep over, lose focus over. And um, we see in 3.175 says, It is the devil's system to instill fear into his subjects. Do not fear them and fear me instead if you are believers. So fear is something that the devil uses for us to, to go astray, to turn back on God's word. And when God says, fear me instead, again, from the uh, previous podcast, fearing God is to know God. If we know that leaving God's kingdom is where all misery, frustration, uh, pain resides, we would be absolutely fearful of uh, leaving God. Uh, by definition, hell is the absence of God. And the farther we are away from God's physical presence, the more we are at misery. So what we want to do is we want to grow and develop our souls and get closer and closer to God. When we revert, when we commit sin, what we're actually doing is we're distancing ourselves from God. We're losing contact with our Creator. And... Um, to believe that anything other than God can harm or benefit us, independent of God, is by definition idol worship. In 576, this is say, Would you worship beside God powerless idols who can neither harm you nor benefit you? God is here omniscient. In 10106, it reads, You shall not worship beside God what possesses no power to benefit you or harm you. If you do, you will be a transgressor. Anything that can benefit or harm us independent of God is setting up a source beside God. The only thing that matters is either drawing closer to God, or if we regress, we're drawing further away from God and more into misery. So those are our options. And to think that anything else can be a source where it's going to benefit us, or the absence of it is going to hurt us, is setting up a source beside God. And um, not even the messengers themselves could harm or benefit even themselves. In 1049, says, say, I possess no power to harm myself or benefit myself. Only what God wills takes place. Each community has a predetermined lifespan. Once their interim comes to an end, they cannot delay it by one hour nor advance it. So to think that anything else beside God can harm or benefit us uh, is to set up a God beside God. And if you fear anything beside God, you're thinking that something else beside God has control that's independent of God. Everything is in our Lord's control, even life and death. And we see this, you know, numerous times it's talked about that God is the one who controls life and death. And 3.145 and 3.154 uh, just give perfect clarity to this. It says, no one dies except by God's leave at a predetermined time. Whoever seeks the vanities of this world, we give him therefrom. And whoever seeks the rewards of the hereafter, we bless him therein. We reward those who are appreciative. In uh, 3.154, it says, uh, subtitles, moment of death predetermined. 
It reads, after the setback, he sent down upon you peaceful slumber that pacified some of you. Others among you were selfishly concerned about themselves. They harbored thoughts about God that were not right, the same thoughts they had harbored during the days of ignorance. Thus, they said, is anything up to us? Say, everything is up to God. They concealed inside themselves what they did not reveal to you. They said, if it was up to us, none of us would have been killed in this battle. Say, had you stayed in your homes, those destined to be killed would have crawled into their deathbeds. God thus puts you to the test to bring out your true convictions and to test what is inside your hearts. God is fully aware of the innermost thoughts. So God is telling the people here, you know, that they've lost friends uh, during these battles or the thought of losing their own lives or the lives of other of their uh, comrades, that if they were destined to die, irrespective if they lost their life in battle or they went to bed, they would be crawling into their deathbeds. And this is because God controls life and death. So if you believe that God is doing everything, that God um, controls our life and our death, the moment we're brought into this world, who our parents are going to be, where we're going to be born, the conditions by which we're going to be born. And similarly, when we're going to leave this world, at what day, what time, where, uh, where, that this is all within your Lord's control. It's predetermined. We would never have any fear of death. We would never have any fear that, uh, you know, something's going to happen. You think about this, how much of an, a pain this is for so many people who've lost a loved one. That they think they're like, you know, they get in a car accident and their uh, life is taken, you know, prematurely in the sense that they didn't die of old age. And they think, oh, if I only did this, I could have saved that person. If I only did this, their outcome could have been different. And the reality is irrespective of how they lost their life, that was the moment that they were meant to go. And to have any doubt about that, again, is showing that we're only giving lip service. We have to believe in it. It's not to say that we're going to, you know, not be sad if we lose someone we love. Uh, but the reality is that we understand that their life was predetermined, that God designed exactly when they're going to come into this world and when they're going to leave this world. And again, if you believe that this life is it, it's going to be miserable. But if you believe that this life is just a halfway house, a transitionary point within our ultimate destiny, where we have all of eternity ahead of us, then we know it's just a matter of time before we're reunited with those we love, you know, God willing in heaven. And um, this process of coming to this conviction, coming to this belief doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes dedication. And a perfect example of this is in Moses. Um, and we see when Moses, he was an old man at this point, but he was summoned by God uh, to Mount Sinai. Um, we read the uh, conversation he had with God in 2610. It reads, recall that your Lord called Moses, go to the transgressing people, Pharaoh's people. Perhaps they reform. He said, my Lord, I fear lest they disbelieve me. I may lose my temper. My tongue gets tied. Send for my brother Aaron. Also, they consider me a fugitive. I fear lest they kill me. So you're seeing all these, these uh, apprehensions that Moses has, uh, that his uh, tongue gets tied, that he doesn't speak elegantly, uh, eloquently, eloquently. <laughs> there you go. Um, that uh, uh, he thinks that, you know, they're not going to believe him. He's going to feel rejected. And uh, because of these excuses, he, he's showing signs of doubt. And um, God knows that he's a believer, that he's going to get out of this situation. It's going to take time. But it just goes to show, and we see in his response, um, how he behaves when he truly believes. Because when Pharaoh and his troops pursued Moses uh, in 2660, it reads, they pursued them towards the east. When the both parties saw each other, Moses' people said, we will be caught 
He said, so Moses responds, no way. My Lord is with me. He will guide me. We then inspired Moses to strike the sea with your staff, whereupon it parted. Each part was like a great hill. We then delivered them all. We thus saved Moses and all those who were with him. So we see here that in the response, you know, prior to going to Pharaoh, when Moses was first summoned, he had these these reservations and uh, he thought he couldn't do it. But God knew that this is going to grow and develop his soul to the point that when Pharaoh and his troops are actually pursuing him to kill him, his response was no way, no way. He was that, the level of confidence was that much. And when God responded to Moses and uh, he tells Moses, he says, look, I made you before my watchful eye. I made you just for me. That God knew from the, before Moses' creation, what Moses was capable of, what he had inside him. And he did all this perfectly designed. And again, if you believe that God is doing everything, that God would never put us in a situation where we can't handle, that it's going to be uh, too much for us, that he's designed us from even before our creation to be able to withstand these challenges, to be able to overcome any obstacle that's presented before us, then we know that, okay, God is doing everything. And if we ever have these apprehensions, these reservations, it's the fact that we have to understand that we we will overcome them by the leave of God, that if we trust in God, that if we truly try to take this to heart, we will be in these situations and we'll thrive. Um, we talked about it before. You have post-traumatic stress disorder where people, they experience these just terrible, terrible uh, things and they, uh, they are uh, reduced from the situation. And you also have post-traumatic growth where people are in the same kind of situations, but from those experiences, they grow and God wants us to grow. And you see that one of the examples uh, that uh, Moses, you know, he's infamous for, uh, and he claims when he's talking to God, he says, I may lose my temper. If you truly believe that God is doing everything, would you ever get angry? Would you ever get frustrated? And um, Wayne Dyer gives an uh, awesome example. He talks about an orange. He says, you know, what do you get when you squeeze an orange? And it's kind of funny. You get oranges, right? And it's like, why? It's because that's what the orange is made of. And similarly, what do you get when you squeeze, you put pressure uh, on a human being? Do you get anger? Do you get frustration, hatred, uh, bad language, swearing? Um, and it shows this is what's inside us. This is what we're made of. And we read in 3154, it says, God thus puts you to the test to bring out your true convictions and to test what is in your hearts. God is fully aware of the innermost thoughts. That God puts us in these situations to bring out our true convictions, for us to see for ourselves what we're made of. And the reality is if we weren't put in these situations, we would never know. And most times we go easy on ourselves, especially if you have children. You don't want things to be too challenging, too tough for them. But the reality is God is our creator and he knows exactly what we can stand. And he puts us in these situations knowing full well that we have it within us to grow from these situations. And it's up to us how we respond to that. One of the examples is the fact that as uh, human beings, we have this tendency for being impatient. 2137 says, the human being is impatient by nature. I will inevitably show you my signs. Do not be in such a hurry. It's this impatience, this, this wanting to be in control that leads to the anger, that leads to the frustration, that leads to the doubt in God. Perfect verse that encompasses this is in 1711 and 12. It says, the human being often prays for something that may hurt him, thinking he is praying for something good. The human being is impatient. How many times you pray for something, thinking that it's for your good, but what we're, we fail to understand is God put us in that situation for a specific purpose, to grow from that situation, to learn from that situation. 
if we can pray to appreciate what it is we have and to grow from that experience, God willing, we can come out of that situation better. And in 1712, it reads, so this and following on where it says the human beings impatience is we rendered the night and the day two signs. We made the night dark and the day lighted that you may seek provisions from your Lord therein. This also establishes for you a timing system and a means of calculation. We thus explain everything in detail. What is the correlation between praying for something that you think is good for you and God saying that this is impatient and the timing system that God has calculated between the, the earth, the moon, the sun, uh, all these celestial bodies that are orbiting in perfect rotation? And you think, would anyone ever be so naive to ask God to say, you know, God, I know we have these 24-hour days. Can we just make them 23 hours? Or I know that, you know, the earth has an axis of a two, uh, 22 and a half degrees. Um, can we just make that 24 degrees? You'd realize if you ask God for something like that and God was to grant you that, that the entire earth in its rotation, its perfect symmetry, its perfect orbit um, around the sun, the moon, the round, the earth, all these proportions, everything that was designed would utterly, utterly just be blown apart. It would cause chaos. And God tells us in the Quran that if anyone else was to be a God beside God, that there would be chaos in the heavens and the earth, that God is the only one who could orchestrate this with such precision, such uh, accuracy, that God created all this. And we trust in God's creation, but when it comes to our own lives, we think that we know what's best. And we have to trust in God. God gives us the example that when he created the heavens and the earth, the amount of complexity that was necessary for not creating just the, the heavens and the earth and the laws of physics and all these things that, you know, uh, the universe is governed by, but the calculation of the provisions were twice as complicated as that. In 41.9, uh, it reads, say, you disbelieve in the Quran and who created the heavens and the earth in two days, and you set up idols to rank with him. Though he is Lord of the universe, he placed on earth, uh, on its stabilizers, mountains, made it productive, and he calculated its provisions in four days to satisfy the needs of all its inhabitants. Some people, they read this, they think it's literal that God took six days to create the heavens and the earth, and this, this isn't accurate. This is only to give us a, a yardstick, a representation of the level of complexity between these two scenarios. So for God to create the heavens, the earth, all the physical laws, the universe, the Big Bang, all these things that, you know, govern the laws of this universe, that complexity is the equivalent of two days. Versus the complexity of calculating every single provision that's going to be granted from the moment of the Big Bang for how much hydrogen and helium and the proportion and the gravitational constant and how much oxygen is going to be produced and how much water is going to be produced and how much air each creature within this uh, earthly dominion is going to consume, how much water they're going to consume, how many provisions they're going to consume. This was all perfectly calculated by God before the creation even took place. And that's the level of complexity. In uh, 34, 36, it says, say, my Lord is the one who controls all provisions. He grants the provisions from to whomever he wills or reduces them, but most people do not know. 34, 39, say, my Lord is the one who controls all provisions. He increases the provisions for whomever he chooses from among his servants or reduces them. Anything you spend in the cause of God, he will reward you for it. He is the best provider. So if we truly believe that God is doing everything, that God has dictated how much provisions every single creature from the moment of the Big Bang to the end of the world is going to consume, would we ever worry about the provisions we have, how much money we have, how, uh, you know, what kind of a car we have, how we're going to make our payments, how we're going to, you know, afford school or any of this? 
because God has perfectly calculated all of it to the T that we're never going to have more or less than what we want. Now, what's funny is some people, when they learn this, they say, you know what? I'm just going to stop working. I'm going to sit on the couch and do nothing. Well, the funny thing is that's in accordance with God's will. God knew that once you get that information, that's going to be your actions and it's going to course, your provisions are going to correspondingly come out with that action. So it's not like we can second guess God. It's already written in uh, 5722. It reads, anything that happens on earth or to you has already been recorded even before the creation. This is easy for God to do. 16.1, God's command has already been issued and everything has already been written. So do not rush it. Be he glorified the most high far above any idols they set up. The fact that God knows absolutely everything and God has planned for absolutely every single event, every single outcome, uh, there's nothing we can do to alter that. The purpose of us being here is to understand the decisions we made and why we made those decisions. God does not send a single soul to hell. On the contrary, what happens is people insist upon distancing themselves from God. And those who decide and make the active choice and they believe in God and they draw near to God by growing and developing their souls, their actions are both going to correspond with their true belief. God puts these situations for us so we can see for ourselves the decisions we make. God doesn't need us to give money to the poor, feed those who are uh, homeless, but these are opportunities for us to earn credit. In 3647, it says, when they are told, give from the provisions to you, those who disbelieve say to those who believe, why should we give to those whom God could feed if he so willed? You're really far astray. And it's true, God could feed every single entity on this planet, no question about it. But God is giving us an opportunity for us to give from the provisions that God has bestowed upon us to others to show, do we truly believe in God or not? When we think we're doing something, that we're doing something that's good, that we are the ones who are the source of this goodness, that's actually feeding our ego. It's a form of self-righteousness. But if we understand and we remember that God is allowing us to do good, that God is allowing us to give to charity, to feed the poor, then we realize that the source of it all is God. In 76 9 says, We feed you for the sake of God. We expect no reward from you, nor thanks. You have to ask, so if you truly believe in God, we wouldn't have any fear. We wouldn't have any grief. We wouldn't worry about uh, life and death in the traditional sense. We wouldn't lose our temper. We wouldn't get angry. We wouldn't get impatient because we know that God is in full control, that this is the outcome that God has dictated that's best for us. But also, how excited would you be if you knew that you have God's word in the Quran and you could apply this to your life? And you think about this, if you ever watch the show, The Price is Right, and they win a car and they're absolutely, they lose their minds. They're so excited. And sometimes they don't even win, but the thought of winning a car, it's like, oh my God, I'm about to win a car. Um, it's hilarious. But God is telling us that this Quran if we implement it, if we implement what God uh, bestows upon us to, to grow and develop our souls, it's more valuable than an earth full of gold. In 1054 reads, if any wicked soul possess everything on earth, it would readily offer it as ransom if it could avoid them from uh, suffering from uh, uh, the absence of God being hell. In 391 says, those who disbelieve and die as disbelievers, an earth full of gold will not be accepted from any of them, even if such a ransom were possible. So God is telling us that this information, applying this information to our day-to-day -day lives is more valuable than possessing everything on earth or even an earth full of gold. Now that is an astronomical amount. So how happy are we that we have this information? And um, what do you get from God's word and following the recommendation? 
And God tells us in uh, 1055 through 62, it reads, Absolutely to God belongs everything in the heavens and the earth. Absolutely, God's promise is truth, but most of them do not know. He controls life and death, and to him you'll be returned. O people, enlightenment has come to you here and from your Lord, and healing for anything that troubles your hearts, and guidance and mercy for the believers. Say, with God's grace and with his mercy, they shall rejoice. This is far better than any wealth they can accumulate. Absolutely, God's allies have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. They are those who believe in their, uh, believe and lead a righteous life. For them, joy and happiness in this world, as well as in the hereafter. This is God's unchangeable law. Such is the greatest triumph. And what God is promising us is perfect health, wealth, happiness, now and forever, for all of eternity. Now, that is huge, because you think about it. What is it that the people want when they win a car? They think that that car is going to provide them happiness. And God is telling us the true happiness comes from God alone. And that if we apply this, from the moment we apply this, that God is guaranteeing us perfect health, wealth, and happiness. And God says this is his unchangeable law, no different than the law of gravity. You know, who has any doubt that if you drop something, it's going to come uh, hurling towards the ground? But similarly, you have to understand that if we apply God's laws in the Quran, that if we do our contact prayers, we uh, refrain from any forms of idol worship, that if we devote ourselves completely 100% to God alone, that we're never going to fear, we're never going to grieve, we're never going to get angry, um, we're going to be just absolutely joyful and happy. And that's what we all strive to do. And it sounds like a pretty nice thing. And God willing, I just want to end with some uh, some verses, and I'm just going to read through them, and I'll uh, clip uh, to the uh, notes. Uh, if you go to the uh, the podcast notes, you can actually see the verses. So let's begin. What is it that the human being desires? To God belongs both the hereafter and this world. Anyone who chooses this fleeting life as his priority, we will rush to him what we decide to give him. Then we commit him to Gehenna, where he suffers forever, despised and defeated. This worldly life is no more than vanity and play, while the abode of the hereafter is the real life, if they only knew. When they ride on a ship, they implore God, devoting their prayers to him. But as soon as he saves them to shore, they revert to idolatry. Such is God's promise, and God never breaks his promise, but most people do not know. They care only about things of this world that are visible to them, while being totally oblivious to the hereafter. O people, God's promise is the truth. Therefore, do not be distracted by this lowly life. Do not be diverted from God by mere illusions. Know that this life is no more than playing games and boasting among you, and hoarding of money and children. It is like abundant rain that produces plants and pleases the disbelievers. But then the plants turn into useless hay and are blown away by the wind. In the hereafter, there is either severe retribution or forgiveness from God and approval. This worldly life is no more than a temporary illusion. Therefore, you shall race towards forgiveness from your Lord in paradise, who the width encompasses the heavens and the earth. It awaits those who believed in God and his messengers. Such is God's grace that he bestows upon whomever he wills. God is possessor of infinite grace. The life of this world is no more than an illusion of vanity, while the abode of the hereafter is far better for the righteous. Do you not understand? So God willing, I'm going to end with uh, two more verses. One is from the uh, the Quran and the other one's from the Bible. And um, it's the fact that if we want to be successful, we have to reflect and remember God and uh, think about all the blessings that God has given us. Uh, otherwise, it's so easy for us to forget. And uh, 769 reads, Is it too much of a wonder that a message should come to, uh, to you from your Lord through a man like you to warn you? Recall that he made you inheritors after all the people, uh, after the people of Noah. And multiplied your number. Remember God's blessings that you may succeed. 
And the last uh, verse I want to read is from uh, the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 33. And it's uh, some of my favorite verses, but I just find it so applicable. It reads, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye of the uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies in the field grow, and do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So God willing, we're going to stop there. If you guys got comments, questions, or even suggestions as far as what to uh, talk about this one, part of this uh, talk actually came from a, a user suggestion, so much appreciated. Um, hit us up at Talk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless. Folks, as you know, it is Dream Car Week, so we're focusing on uh, Dream Cars to, uh, today and cars in general. And I'm super excited for the four of you at this particular moment. Uh, George, let's see the next prize up for bids. It's a new car! I'm going to go with $16,500. $16,500. We have $23,000. 17,500, 16,500. 17,501. Got it. Okay. Here we go. Good luck, everybody. Actual retail price. Oh, boy. $17,065. Period. Woo!